This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived put it on his toe before he went to bed and the next morning he was like mom my toe's all better. It was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly. So you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, other types of skin damage. It's totally safe, non-toxic, suitable on all types of skin, even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin. This is also safe for the youngest members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500 thousand happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family so to get your own active skin repair go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20 percent off your order when you use the code shameless that's activeskinrepair.com use the code shameless for 20 percent off your order activeskinrepair.com code shameless This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 757 with Julie Lewis and Jenny Koenig. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 757. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community. So be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Julie Lewis, a 38-year AIDS survivor and mother to Grammy award-winning musician Ryan Lewis, was infected with HIV in 1984, but not diagnosed until the early 1990s when she was given three to five years to live. After years of silence about her disease, she found an unlikely community of friends to fight alongside and began using her story to make a difference. Her experiences as a woman living with AIDS offer insights about grief, loss, caregiving, spirituality, and the importance of community in the midst of tragedy. 30 years later, after her diagnosis and wanting to find a way to celebrate her incredible journey and her passion for community health, she launched the 3030 Project to positively impact the lives of other women, girls, and families who didn't have the same access to the healthcare opportunities that she had had. This five-year project was completed in 2020 and resulted in 30 new healthcare facilities across nine countries. The buildings constructed have allowed for 715,000 patient visits, administered 127,000 HIV tests, and delivered over 9,000 babies. Julie believes there isn't really such thing as someone else's child or someone else's mother. That child in Malawi or India is our child. Every mom, whether in Kenya or on the streets of Seattle, is our mother. 
We are all in this world together. And what are we here for if it is not to help each other? Julia shared her story on shows like CBS This Morning, Anderson Cooper, and The Elvis Duran Show. Julie, a recipient of the Nelson Mandela Changemaker Award, has opened international conferences and been the keynote speaker at several events. Her co-author of her book, Still Positive, is Jenny Koenig. Jenny is a writer and Grammy-nominated music video producer. She's passionate about channeling her creativity into ways to raise money for nonprofits, including Julie's 3030 Project. She was a co-creator and executive producer for All In WA, a concert for COVID relief, which raised over $110 million for COVID-related causes. And now she's learning how to juggle life as a new mom to her six-month-old daughter. Jenny is a longtime friend of Julie Lewis's and jumped at the chance to help her tell her story. I got to hear Julie share her story a bit on stage in an event last fall, and I was so touched by everything that she shared. I immediately knew I wanted her to come on the show. So I did what I do best, and I went and stalked her for the rest of the event until I could corner her in the room of like an expo hall and ask her to come be on the show. And I'm so honored that she said yes. So please listen in to hear Julie and Jenny share what Julie's diagnosis was like 39 years ago when she was a mom of a two-year-old, four-year-old, and six-year-old what it was like to be the mom of three littles given a diagnosis to live only three to five more years with HIV and AIDS. Her decision to tell her six-year-old Ryan about her HIV status, knowing full well that a six-year-old would not be able to keep this secret. How Ryan shared Julie's status and broke the seal on quote, going public with Julie's health. What it was like to feel like she was parenting on borrowed time for so many years. The moment she realized that she had outlived all the things that she thought she would never live to survive and get to see, especially key moments and milestones in her kids' lives. The reality of Julie's survivor guilt as she has outlived so many friends from the AIDS community. The African women and moms who were building hospitals to save their children's lives, who ultimately inspired the 3030 Project to build 30 hospitals for 18 organizations across nine countries. The sense of urgency that Julie felt in writing her book during COVID and also the pressure and heaviness that she felt with a return to a sense of mortality as someone with a compromised immune system during COVID. And lastly, but also so heartwarmingly, the sweet, unlikely, and incredibly special friendship of Julie and Jenny. So, oh my goodness, buckle up. This is such a important conversation, but a really special conversation and heartwarming in just so many unexpected ways. I'm so honored to welcome Julie and Jenny to the Shameless Mom Academy. Julie and Jenny, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so excited to have two of you here today. We're excited to be here. Absolutely. So I have to give a little context. Julie, I originally was exposed to you on social media through my good friend, Angela Dunleavy shared some sort of event or something. And you were tagged in a photo and I'm going to be very transparent. And this will shock none of my listeners that what caught my eye was that you were the mother of Ryan Lewis, who is Ryan Lewis of Macklemore and Ryan Lewis. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this woman in Seattle. And she has this amazing story about living with AIDS, which captivated my attention immediately. But then you were at an event in New York speaking and I stalked you (laughs) after you got (laughs) on stage to ask you about your upcoming book and to learn more about your work. And I said, would you maybe want to come on my podcast? And your yes was so fast and enthusiastic. It was like a wave of relief for me. So I'm so excited to have you here. And when we were scheduling, you said, I'm going to bring Jenny in my co-author. And so now we get to be here for this really, really special conversation. 
Yeah, we're excited to be here and thank you for having us. Absolutely. So I always ask people a little bit to share a little bit about themselves beyond their bio and then what they're most excited about right now. So let's start there. And I'm going to ask you, Jenny, if you want to kick us off with that. Yeah, I would love to. So I'm probably professionally most excited about the book because just got our launch date and um, it's feeling really real. And, you know, that talking to you on this podcast, like going to come out in this world, this thing that we've been working on for a while. And, you know, and yes. ironically or not, at the same time, I just had a daughter. So, so kind of simultaneous book. And I think as all of you really know that becoming a mom and just stepping into that, it changes everything. And I, oh, feel yeah. Like I'm, <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm learning right now is just, yeah, I mean, getting ready. That's like, I can't just, you know, roll out of bed and jump on this podcast. I have to feed another, make sure she's (laughs) doing good for the day. And I feel like six months in and I'm still kind of like, oh, right. Someone else, someone, I I gotta, things take more time. Yes. It took me like a solid three years to figure out how to like wake up every day and have a child and take care of my, like get myself and my child. (laughs) So six months in, like you shouldn't have it figured out yet at all. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, thank you for saying that. I definitely, <laughs> and she changes so much. So I feel like we're finally getting rhythm. And then now I had to start feeding her. And that just adds a whole nother like <laughs> yep. mess in every sense of the word. And I was like, no, I, I was really good at this. And now right. we had a system. And yes, totally, totally. I love it. Julie, what about you? Tell us a little bit about yourself beyond your bio and what you're excited about right now. Well, I'm also excited about our book launch on May 23rd. Well, here's, you know, Jenny and I have been extreme isolators. Um, I've had a, you know, compromised immune system and then she was pregnant and then had an infant. So we're the people who wear the masks everywhere and are never in groups. And, you know, I feel like we're just getting to the point where we get to be out in the big world again, Mm -hmm. which is very exciting for us. We did a photo shoot and it was like, oh my gosh, I haven't dressed up in like, (laughs) years, right? <laughs> and put on makeup and we had some pretty great sh- pictures. Well, Jenny's husband's a professional photographer, so that helped. But um, I think uh, what's not in my bio is I'm building out a funding platform called the 3030 Legacy Fund that will be allowing us to continue to support the orgs and nonprofits that are working towards women's healthcare issues, women's healthcare access and equity. Nice. Oh, very cool. Very exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that you're getting to be back in the real world. It feels so unfamiliar. Those first few, like the first time I flew, the first time I like to like put on actual clothes and shoes, like <laughs> all those things. So yes, it's definitely a little surreal. I want to dig into your story, Julie, and you were diagnosed with AIDS over 30 years ago now, mm-hmm. as a mom of three small children, can you talk about that experience of that diagnosis and how you managed that at that time? So I was infected in 1984 um, when my oldest daughter was born. Um, 40 years ago, almost now. 39 on March 13th. <laughs> wow. Not that I'm counting. Yeah. And my kids were, by the time I got diagnosed six and a half years later, I'd had two more kids and they were very young. My children were two, four and six years old. So I was given a diagnosis that I would at the best live three to five more years. There wasn't a lot of hope. 
And so I didn't, I feel like my kids were too young to really handle this information. Plus we lived in a very conservative, big, but felt like small city. And my husband was working as an area director for a youth ministry organization. So we were in an even more conservative Mm -hmm. community there. And, you know, in 1990, when I was diagnosed, people had a lot of judgment and fear around AIDS. And Christian people were like saying it was God's judgment on people, especially people living in the gay community. And I have a gay brother who just also happens to be HIV positive. Mm -hmm. So all of this was like overwhelming. And, you know, I just wanted to protect my kids from the judgment from, you know, I didn't want our neighbors to not let their kids come and play at our house because of the fear. I didn't want Scott to lose his job. I mean, at this point, insurance companies could um, not give you insurance based on a pre-existing condition. So, you know, he liked his job, but he actually just needed it so that we would have health insurance. Absolutely. Yeah. And so for four years, we told very few people, but just as an example, occasionally we felt like, you know, maybe we should tell this person. And one of the people on Scott's board of directors, a woman just kept asking, you know, why isn't Juliet meetings? Why isn't Juliet meetings? You know, And finally I said, just tell her what's happening. And so we told this woman and her husband, you know, that I was um, dealing with HIV and that I was pretty sick from the medication. And her response was, let's just pretend it's cancer. That was it. And, you know, I have all the empathy in the world for someone dealing with cancer, but just the very question just showed that, you know, people didn't want to talk about it. They had fear about it and they definitely didn't want it in their community. I'm recalling that season in my life. So I was born in 1975. So 1990, I was 15 years old and the stigma around HIV was massive. And so I know there's a lot of listeners in a similar age demographic that can remember that, but it also is so far away that like we have to think for a minute to kind of feel it. And then I also know we have listeners that are a little younger that don't, that just were not there for that moment in history that was, I can't think of a more stigmatizing thing happening in the world at that time. And so to I mean, be, no, there, I don't think there was, actually. I don't think there was either. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And to be carrying that as a human, as a mom, as a woman, as a, someone involved in the community, like, oh my gosh, just so many layers in there on top of the fact that you're very critically concerned for your health and well being and like staying alive. That's just such a load. Yeah, it was a lot. (laughs) That's an understatement. Yes. (laughs) It was was a lot to, and you know, there was no guidebook. Like, how do you deal with this with children? So we were winging it. We were trying to figure it out as it went. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. This episode is supported by Earn In. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn now can be in your hands today with Earn In. EarnIn is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Super, super easy to use. You just download the EarnIn app and verify your paycheck. Then you can access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. 
So the app is free. You can leave a tip if you want. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So here's the thing. Sometimes getting close to your next paycheck, next pay period, and you realize, oh gosh, like paycheck doesn't come until next Friday, but we have this event that we need to attend this weekend and we need money for it. Or we have to buy a gift for someone. Or, oh my gosh, like my kid tore through their shoes and now we have to buy new shoes this weekend and the money's not in the bank yet. So Earnin can help you access the money you've already earned at work by giving you this little bit of money in advance. So make Earnin part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability and security, and it gives me a lot of peace of mind. So for our listeners, all you need to do is download Earn In today. It's spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, and you can download it in Google Play or the Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in Shameless Mom under podcast when you sign up. So there'll be a little place where you can, where it says, what podcast did you hear about them on? Type in Shameless Mom under podcast. This helps to show support for our show and our advertisers. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank, and subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. This episode is supported by Mysteries About True Histories, a podcast for your kiddos. So from the creators of the hit podcast, Who Smarted, and Netflix's Brainchild comes the adventurous world of mysteries about true histories, affectionately known as math. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs, making learning cool. This podcast is perfect for ages six and up, and new episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. I love a show where, as a parent, you're like, hey, let's listen or watch this or whatever, And your kids are thinking they're like getting extra device time or what have you. And you're like, they're learning right now. So it feels like such a big win. So I want you to go check out Mysteries About True Histories wherever you listen to podcasts. You can tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you're listening to this podcast. So go check out Mysteries About True Histories to listen in and have some fun with your kid while they learn today. I had to laugh. You should in some of our pre-interview work, you shared about sharing this with your family. And you say that your life with HIV really began with hiding your illness, as you've mentioned already, and navigating safe spaces for your three kids and fearing that the stigma for sure and discrimination that they might experience, that your family would experience in these early days of the disease. But the dance around that ended when you told your (laughs) six-year-old. And when I was reading through this and the, the pre-interview stuff, I was like, oh my gosh, they told their six-year-old. Like, if you tell a six-year-old anything, you know, they're just going to go to school and be like, so my mom has AIDS. <laughs> so, so can you talk a little bit about this? I'm laughing about it because it's, there's levity now, almost 40 yeah. years later, but that's not a light thing. It's not a breezy thing in the moment. Can you talk a little bit about that sharing your status with your child, knowing that there was this chance that they would go out and share it with the world? Yeah. Well, I mean, I always knew eventually we would have to go public with this diagnosis and that I had HIV. And at that point I had AIDS Um, and I was tired of hiding the secret. It's a Mm -hmm. lot of energy to like, yeah, 
protect your private information. You know, you're maybe not lying all the time, but you're definitely stretching the truth when people ask you questions about like why you don't feel good and things like that. But I never wanted to tell our kids like, you know, there was never a time I thought, oh, they're old enough now. They always seem too young. And then one day, so where we lived, the AIDS education started in fourth grade and it was at the end of the year in May. And I'm sitting there literally like putting on my earrings, getting ready to go to work. And my oldest daughter, Teresa, was sitting on my bed and she goes, how did your friend Mary die of AIDS? She knew this one friend of mine. And I said, well, she had a blood transfusion before they were testing the blood for. And then she got this horrible look on her. And she goes, mom, you had a blood. You know how little kids, they listen to all your private conversations that you don't know they're (laughs) listening to. And I said, "Totally, yeah, I did. And she goes, could you have AIDS? And I said, yeah, I could. And then she said, do you? And I said, no, I don't have AIDS because actually- I hadn't gotten an official AIDS diagnosis. So I felt like I wasn't quite lying, but I was lying. You knew that you were HIV positive, but yeah, you hadn't exactly. been gotten that. I hadn't okay. had an AIDS defining condition at that point. Well, I had, okay. but I, I didn't know it. And okay. so anyway, long story short, uh, Scott came home. My husband came home from work and I'm like, we actually need to tell the kids mm-hmm. because Teresa's is asking. And we, we decided for a while, you know, for a while we were like, well, she's 10 maybe we should just tell her. And, but then I was like, we've just spent four years keeping secret and we know how hard this is. So I didn't want her to have to keep something from her brother and sister. So we decided to tell all of them. And yes, Ryan was six. And you know, when you, I told the kids, all of them, I said, this is not a secret. This is private information and it's yours. So you can share it anytime you want with anyone you want. It's really your information. So you tell that to a six-year-old. And like, I think I told this story when I was speaking, when I met you. Um, so well, I'm, I'm literally in the grocery store. I'm in Albertsons and I'm at the checkout stand with Ryan. And he looks at me and he goes, and he points at the checker and she goes, does she know you have AIDS? And I'm like, oh my God. And the poor checker, she just like lowered her head and looked aside. And I was like, well, she does now, honey. And that was that. And you're right. There was just a little comic relief. It's like I've spent four years protecting the secret. Mm -hmm. And now, well, it's out there. And then just like literally a couple of weeks after that, I get a call from Ryan's teacher. And she says, Ryan shared something today. And uh, I think it might have been like, you know, personal information. And I know exactly where she's going. She goes, <laughs> I said, well, what happened? She goes, well, I was talking about Africa. And he raised his hand. He goes, there's a lot of AIDS in Africa. And I said, yeah, that's right. And then his next sentence was, my mom has AIDS. And she was just like, okay, what do I do with this? And I said, you know, she, he's right. And um, it's true. And it's his information to share. And so, you know, you're not in trouble. (laughs) It's okay that that happened in your class. But you know, um, that that was going public. It was a quick thing. Uh, And, um, and, you know, a lot of the really bad things we thought might happen didn't. And, and I, I'm going to talk about our speakers bureau later. And I think because they were so public and in the newspaper, the public speakers that had the bravery to go out and share their stories and 
just help people to get good information and to actually meet a live person with HIV. I think yeah. that made a difference by the time That's, we went public. That makes a lot of sense. I feel like it's in some ways, maybe a blessing to have a six-year-old that can just go share. Yeah. This they're thing kind of awesome like, I don't know how to do some this. Ways. <laughs> let, let a six-year-old take care of it. I'm curious if there was, you mentioned relief. So I'm curious if there was like a sense of relief, but also a sense of fear, like kind of this weight is coming off, but at the same time, like, we don't know where this train is going yeah. and it didn't seem to crash. No, but I'm, you know, when you read the book, you'll find out I'm a very controlling person. Mm. So it was super uncomfortable for me to not have control anymore over the story. So as a fellow controlling person, I appreciate that. <laughs> Yeah, very, very much. Can you talk about some of the unique challenges that faced your family around this time? And I'm also, again, going back to the 90s, late 80s, 90s, we didn't know like how infection worked and infectability. I don't think that's the right word, (laughs) but there was just so many things that we didn't know about transmission and how to protect people who we were around. And it's so interesting when we think about COVID, because I think there's so much around COVID that there's some similarities around like not knowing who's ex- who can get what from who and how, and is it airborne and all these yeah. kinds of things. And so can you talk a little bit about that part with your family? Well, I mean, by 1990, we did know how it was, it was transmitted, but there was so much bad information going around. The, yes. Um, that's I mean, a good I, important clarification. Yeah. When I became, well, first, when I was telling people one at a time, during those four years. And then even when I became a public speaker, I mean, our speakers bureau was like, you know, let's just start out by saying, no, you can't get it from a toilet seat. And like, there was just so much misinformation, but literally, you know, it was very clear by 1990, how this virus was uh, transmitted. It was either transmitted through blood to blood contact or through having a baby or sexually. I mean, those were the three ways. And there were so, you know, but there was a lot of misinformation about, you know, maybe the government's hiding from us, you know, Mm -hmm. the truth or, yeah. I mean, I literally was at a meeting, this was before I went public, a meeting about the AIDS education in the public schools where I lived. And a nurse was going through the ways that HIV is uh, transmitted and what the kids were being taught. And a doctor stood up and was like, uh, I don't trust the findings of the National Institute of Health and the Centers for Disease Control. I think there might be many other ways this is transmitted. And I was just sitting in the back, might have said a couple four-letter words to myself. (laughs) It was just like, thanks. That did not help my family at all because it wasn't true, you know, but there was a lot of fear. Was there a specific moment or season where you were able to shift from seeing AIDS, your AIDS diagnosis from being terminal to sustainable that you knew that I'm imagining there was years where there was worry about it being terminal. And then did it, was this a quick thing that you were able to see that I can live with this? Or was that like slow progress over time as medicine evolved? You know, we thought of it. We actually, I was pondering this question while we were writing the book. Yeah. I mean, there were certain things in the mid 1990s, the protease inhibitors, which is a different kind of medication came out and people were living longer. I mean, people were also still dying, but you know, the medications were getting more varied. There were, um, 
taking different approaches and they were working for people, for most people. But I asked Ginny, like Ginny was my daughter's college roommate for four years. So I said, you know, in 2002, when I met you, what was the story that you were hearing? Because, you know, it's been a long season. And I was just like trying to decide, like, when was that point? So what's your answer, Ginny? (laughs) So this was like kind of a, a part of the experience of the book that was like actually really fascinating. When Julie brought me on, that I was like, oh, I'm actually, you know, because I've I've known you for the past 20 years, I'm able to add insight, you know, from my own perspective and what I experienced, you know, at different points and kind of, you know, being on the periphery of your family for so long. And so I um, went to UW with Julie's oldest daughter, Teresa, um, and we lived in the same house. And in uh, 2002, when we were both freshmen, um, after knowing Teresa for a few months, after having met Julie, Um, Teresa finally shared with me like, Hey, this is what's going on. This is my family's story. I was shocked at this point because I'd met Julie. She seemed so healthy. And I, you know, again, having been a product of like AIDS education in the nineties, that is not what a person who had HIV should look like. Yeah. According to, you know, the education that I had received up until that point. And, but the story that Teresa told me was a sad one. It was like, yeah, my mom's healthy now, but you know, and mind you, Teresa was 18 at this point, And she was still saying, my mom is not going to be at my wedding. My mom mm. is not going to be a grandma. That was still the way that at least the Teresa was thinking. And, you know, getting to know Laura and Ryan as well. I know that that's kind of, that's what they were all thinking. You know, they had grown up being told that Julie was living on borrowed time, honestly, is, is kind of the way that it came across. And yes, obviously she'd originally gotten this three to five year diagnosis, but you know, even this many years later, you know, yeah, they weren't, they thought she could kind of, that it could turn really fast and be gone at any time. And just now kind of having gotten to the story with Julie and, you know, really hearing all of these details about all these other people that she knew in the nineties that, you know, were healthy one day and then weren't the next. And then, you know, declined really fast and were gone. I completely understand why Teresa and Laura and Ryan were still thinking that way in 2002, because they Mm -hmm. had seen it happen so many times that you could be healthy and then really quickly not. Yeah. Yeah. I was still having especially side effects of the medications and our friends were still dying in Mm -hmm. early 2000, especially the long-term survivors like me. Yeah. So I don't know that I ever just fully accepted that, oh, I'm going to live longer. I never feared dying. Mm. You know, I'm a Christian person. I, I just, it wasn't scary to me. What I feared was missing out. I was sad. I wasn't fearful. I was just sad. I was sad that, you know, at first that my kids wouldn't remember me or wouldn't know me as adult or, um, and then I just, I don't know. I sad, but I do remember the day that, um, that I just stopped being sad And that was 10 years ago on Christmas Eve. Jenny was there. And it was the day that um, I was going to, we practiced this little thing every time we cried here. But it was the day that my daughter, Teresa, told me she was pregnant with my first grandchild. Yeah. I just feel like at that point, it was like my farthest out dream that I would let myself dream had been realized. 
So, I mean, it really was a miracle. And I just thought anything beyond this is just icing on the cake. Like I've just been very fortunate. I do want to add here that I just want to talk about HIV right now. Like a a diagnosed person, someone who gets diagnosed today, they're fully expected to live a normal lifespan. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's really great medications and that are really, they're not taking 10 pills a day like I used to, you know, it's a one pill deal or even a injection. And um, there are uh, medications. So women don't have to pass HIV to their child. Um, If you're in a discordant couple where one person's HIV positive and the other person isn't, there's pre-exposure prophylactis called PrEP that that person that's not infected can take medication to not become infected. It's a really great day, but what hasn't changed as much is the stigma that is still out there um, alive and well. Yeah. Thank you for adding that. Like a, well, I'm a health educator. I'd be in trouble. Well, One more thing to add to that, um, that is incredibly sad is, is having access to all of this is still very much a privilege. Yeah. Um, And, you know, depending on where you are, depending on your health insurance, depending on just access. Um, And, you know, while that's all of that's very accessible to people in certain areas of the U.S., in other areas of the U.S., it's not. And in other countries, especially that's access is still kind of the big issue with that. And that's to me is just what's incredibly sad is that, you know, life saving measures exist, but people just don't have access. Yeah. 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 Really important for us to recognize that. So Julie, do you now have a 10 year old grandchild? Well, they will be 10 this year. They're both nine. I have two, actually. My daughters have kids the same age. Okay. So yes, two will be turning 10 in 2023. So you have six total. I have six total. Yeah. Wow. I think, um, for me, just looking at the whole, you know, scope of, of Julie's life and this, this book that we've written, you know, if you, for me, if I think back to Julie in that first part of the book, when she's told that she has three to five years to live in the Julie that I know now, it's pretty amazing. What a, uh, such a huge moment to outlive all the things you thought you would miss. And yeah, that's just incredibly powerful. And I also feel like we could be like, that's the end of the interview. Like, look, we're done. And like, it would, it would be this amazing story, but what's more amazing and what you shared, um, on the stage when I saw you a few months ago was that your commitment to making your story bigger than you is really incredible. And what I loved about your story was, you talking about um, your son's influence. And so can you talk a little bit about the, you had an idea, I think it was your idea. You had the spark for like, to celebrate living with AIDS for 30 years. This is what I want to go do. And then Ryan was like, mom, I think you could do that like times 30. Uh, (laughs) Can you talk about the 3030 project? Because I think this is such a huge piece of your story that again, like we could just end right here and it would be a success story in air quotes, but there's so much more still. Can you tell us about the 3030 project? Well, the 3030 project, I think came out of a couple of things. One is that my family, it was 2014 and my family wanted to celebrate the fact that I had survived 30 years with HIV. 
on my side, first of all, it felt a little weird to use the word celebrate since so many of my friends had died of AIDS. I mean, I'll just, you know, Joyce, Kara, Cammie, Mary, George, Barry, Craig, Mark, Tom. I mean, I can just keep talking about Mm -hmm. the amount of friends I had because I was on a speaker's bureau. So yeah, so that was, I didn't want to use the word celebrate, but I said to them, if we could do a kind of pay it forward project that did something good for someone else to honor them, that would be great. Um, the second thing that was happening is, you know, I live with a lot of survivor guilt. And part of that is just feeling like, why am I still here and other people aren't? I better do something good. You know, like there's there's that pressure um, I don't know if you read the book, The Great Believers, but Mm-mm. it's about a, a, it was a bestseller, but it's about a group of friends who survived HIV in the 80s and 90s. And one person became a long-term survivor. And he says, I was the luckiest and the unluckiest. Mm. Um, of course, we're so lucky that we survived, but there is this burden that you feel. Um you know, having lost so many friends. So anyway, so Jenny and I were working at the time for a nonprofit called Construction for Change. They build infrastructure for other nonprofits working in that in underserved communities around the world on behalf of the global poor. So they build, you know, their concept is, you know, people doing great work don't necessarily know how to build a building that they need desperately. So we're going to come in as a nonprofit well, and, that they shouldn't have and do that to do as well. Like if you have, you know, yeah. somebody who's like running a great school and this is what we were running into Jason, my husband and I would travel and shoot photos and video like in for construction for change. And this is what we would see is it's like, here's somebody who's running a school out of their house and it's grown so much that, you know, there's no room. There's everyone's this, this class is meeting under this tree over here. And, you know, these people, yes, they had the capacity to be teachers, but they don't know how to build a building. So that's where construction for change would come in, whether it was the most common would be schools and, you know, medical clinics, hospitals, that sort of a thing. So Jenny and I, what we did, we shared a job vetting projects that um, applications would come in and we would do research on them and recommend to the board of directors which ones they should build. We don't know how to build buildings, but we know how to do that. So anyway, we were at an event at Microsoft and one of our project managers was showing a slideshow about a hospital that was being built in India. And we got weekly updates on this hospital being built. But until we saw the slides, we didn't know that the hospital was actually being built by women. Wow. So the project manager went on to explain that these women were building a hospital, these moms because they were tired of their very own kids dying in transport to the nearest medical facility hours away. And many times if they even made it there, they'd get turned away at the door because they were poor and couldn't pay. I mean, I looked at Jeannie and I just went, those women built a freaking hospital. Yeah. And they really were our inspiration um, behind the 3030 project. Um, we just thought, you know, what if we built a healthcare building to create healthcare access where there wasn't any? And so that was my big idea that you're talking about is like, let's find a great organization 
and build a building as our family project for my 30th, you know, for surviving 30 years. And that's when Ryan looked at me and was like, you survived 30 years. We can't just build one. <laughs> we need to build 30. I love this visionary yeah. like thoughts yeah. right in energy right here. Like why yeah. one when we could do 30? <laughs> so, you know, we funded 30 healthcare facilities in five years. We built for 18 organizations in nine countries. And our last two buildings are being finished right now. So that was the impact we could measure. But what I like to think about is the ripple effect, the things that we really actually can't measure, because I think that might be the bigger story of the 3030 project, that all of the speaking that I did, all of the people we told about it, many of them have come back to tell me that in their sphere of influence, it just inspired them to do something that they could do with their platform. And, and I think that's our hope for our book is that, you know, there's all these influencers. I mean, you, you know, the last, um, the, when we met each other, there were so many influencers, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, about there's about so many influencers, on, like a thousand influencers on, in one on, room, <laughs> you know, TikTok and Instagram. And my hope is that as I speak about my story and people read the book, that those people with influence can think about their platform and influence and go like one step further. And like, how are you using that to better the world around you? How are you changing lives with your influence? Um, it's great, you know, if you know how to, you know, tell us how to dress, I need that. But, you know, I talked to one gal who is a fashion influencer and she puts on events. But she said to me after hearing my talk, she said, my favorite thing I did this year was put on a fashion show for breast cancer survivors. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, that's where we get our joy in that. Yeah. Whatever we do well, or wherever we have influence, if we can give that away to so someone else can have a voice or empowering communities to um, be more independent or have a you know, a healthier environment. Those are all things that I hope come out of the 3030 project and live on. And that's what we want from our book. I love that so much. And then, um, you know, the other thing and is I didn't, people all the time are like, oh my gosh, she did so much on the 3030 project. I, Julie Lewis did not do that project alone at all. I mean, Jenny, you can just talk about yeah, no, the I was art just community jump in and, and say that I think uh, the 3030 project is a perfect example of people using their influence to make something happen. We absolutely would not have built 30 clinics without the support of the whole entire Macklemore and Ryan Lewis team from just, you know, everyone involved from their managers to their PR, you know, getting Julie on, uh, you know, interviews on, on TV and in magazines and, um, and just spreading the word to just like, um, Macklemore and Ryan, like posting on their social media, sharing about it when they could another really amazing thing for people to use uh, musicians is this platform called plus one um where basically you add a dollar to your ticket sales and basically then for each ticket you sell one dollar goes to a cause that you believe in so mm. for um for macklemore and ryan lewis it was going to this wow so basically amazing. you know if you if you came to a macklemore show you know back in the day you gave 
I totally project. supported the 3030 project yeah. as it turns out. Isn't that amazing <laughs> awesome. I think that that's just like such a wonderful way to use, to use the influence that you have. Like, and there's so many different ways to do that. Yeah. We also oh, have this incredible team of mostly women who just surrounded us. They put on events for us. And then my daughter, Teresa, I have to shout her out because she became our director and she's just really brilliant at organizing and just keeping us on task. She was a great leader. Um, and really this group of women, it came, it became, it was a five-year project, which was great to have a beginning and an end. And it became kind of a community movement. Like, you know, oh, I bet. yeah. So it wasn't just me. <laughs> at all. And know. I would imagine I'm thinking back to what you said about this worry about missing things and this thought that like, I'm not scared to die, but I'm sad that I'm going to miss things. And then to be a part of things that are so monumental. I mean, we mentioned the birth of your first grandchild and then multiple grandchildren, and then something like this. And I'm, I'm seeing now that you have gotten to experience things that not only the everyday things you thought you might miss, but these like massive experiences and events that wouldn't have existed if you hadn't had this diagnosis. Yeah. I have had good fortune. I've, uh, but also, you know, I feel like I'm a pretty spiritual person. So I just feel like it was amazing with the 3030 project where so many things in my life came together mm. for this project. I mean, my work in nonprofit, our work with construction for change, um, you know, surviving HIV, Ryan's platform and the amount of followers that they had, their willingness to support us. I mean, it's just, it's kind of crazy how, you know, all these stepping stones in your life sometimes actually come all together yeah. and create something bigger than any particular one had, you know, did right. on its own. Yeah. So, like you don't know that they're all going to converge and then yeah. you're like, oh, this is why they all had to exist. So they could exactly. all. Exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, or even like it. you speak it. about, you're talking about uh, Teresa uh, who ended up becoming um, the, the 3030, like project director and it wasn't just like this like you know sort of a nepotism baby situation like um she <laughs> actually has has a like as a degree that yeah she has a degree in international studies and work oh my gosh um as the assistant to the head of Swedish hospitals so she, oh, wow. she was actually yeah. really qualified she, I was gonna say that's a, that's a healthy <laughs> qualification. Just hire family members because you know right. yeah no yeah. she was great and yeah. And she had also just, you know, had a baby and it was a very flexible job, which was great for her. Yeah. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and they're specifically designed to combat 
chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners, can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily, It's very digestible, and the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explained. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. So I want to know, I'm thinking through... If I were to write a book with one of my mom's friends, or, or I'm, yeah, with one of my mom's friends, I'm like, I can't imagine that scenario. This is such a lovely relationship. And I want to know how did this come to be that, Julie, you decided you want to write, and maybe it wasn't you, Julie, that decided, but the decision or conversation happens like there should be a book and it should be not Julie and someone else living with AIDS or someone else who's in your same age demographic, but it's going to be my daughter's friend. I think this is a really fun and really unique relationship. So can you two talk about that a bit? Yeah. I mean, like, like we alluded to earlier, I met Jenny 20 years ago, right? Um, Since then, we've done a few jobs together. We mentored college students for several years at UW. We actually put on a dinner every Wednesday night for 25 people for a few years. We shared a job at Construction for Change. Yeah, I I mean, Jenny 
pipe in. <laughs> yes. No, I will. And I, I mean, first and foremost, I'm going to just give a shout out to my imposter syndrome. Um, <laughs> this, like everything else in my life, I'm just like, all right, I'm doing this. How did I get here? Am I qualified for this? Like at what point is someone going to come up to me and say, um, hello, uh, we don't think you belong. Here. We've discovered, <laughs> we've discovered that you are not supposed to be here. <laughs> you are not qualified. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. No, Jenny. And that's what I found. And that's what I found in, in so many different situations in my life. Um, I don't, I don't know what I thought I was going to be when I grow up. I feel like I still don't quite know, but, um, I've had a really wonderful run of getting to do a whole bunch of different things. And, um, just with this book, um, kind of what happened is Julie very early days of COVID was self-isolating at her son, Ryan's cabin in Eastern Washington and literally by herself. And, was just started writing and she sent me a, a very, very rough version of this, of her kind of like life story. And just because I've known her so long, like I knew she didn't want somebody to just say like, oh my gosh, good job, Julie. Like, yeah, yay. You wrote this, you know, I'm so proud of you. I knew that she knows what it takes to put something out into the world. And you would much rather have the people around you close to you say, this is actually terrible (laughs) versus letting you get, put something out into the world and then have everyone be like, oh my gosh, this sucks. I knew it was terrible. I said, here's my life story. It's about a C plus. Like I'm, I'm (laughs) I was a straight A student. So like I grade everything, you know, this is really bad, but here, read it. Well, and it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't like horrible. Like it just, it was rough. Yes. So I just was brutally honest because I know that that's something that Julie appreciates honesty. Mm -hmm. So I just, you know, kind of sent her notes and just kind of was like really editing it at that point. And a lot of like crossing out, like no one needs to hear this story. This is only interesting (laughs) to you. And um. (laughs) So, sort of a thing. Yeah. And uh anyway, and so her response, like I kind of I sent her back like me my sort of like edits of a first first few chapters and was like as much as I knew she likes, you know, honesty, brutal honesty, I also was kind of like, "Oh, please don't hate me." Um <laughs> and she called me and was like, "I need you to write this with me." And I was just like, <gasps> I have not, I mean, I consider myself a writer, but uh, much more in sort of the creative world of, you know, making music videos and writing scripts and in that sort of a thing. Um, But I kind of had to sit with this and think about it and realize that um, actually I'm uniquely qualified to do this because um, I've been there and I've, I've seen, you know, the story along the way. And, and I realized, and, and then I kind of was like, well, am I author? You've already written this. Am I, am I co-authoring this with you? But basically what happened is um, yes, a lot of, a lot of Julie's initial draft got sort of um, we got rid of it. And, uh, and then there was a lot of other stuff that I, I was going like, well, what about, you know, this story that I've heard from, you know, the nineties and you guys living in Spokane, what about this? Like, so part of it was me just remembering things that, you know, that I'd been told and then other things, you know, stuff that I was there for. Um, I, I so- love this, like how uniquely qualified you are for this to be like, no, what about that? No, you yeah, need to include yeah. that. Cause you saw, it. I love that. Yeah, she remembered so it- things I've forgotten. It was awesome <laughs> actually. It was good. And, and, you know, kind of our 
I, it was, you know, I was writing as fast as I could during this early days of COVID. I really didn't know if I'd survive. And um, I mean, that Seattle was the epicenter yes. of, of this, yeah. you know, this, this virus in us. <laughs> and, um, and I think what we came down to is like, let's just give people a view through the window. Let's not let them in the front door. Of your <laughs> and that was awesome. You know, Jason, what, what? Sorry, just to say, I think that COVID provided a really unique opportunity for you to be writing like in multiple ways. One, just that it gave, it gave you the time and the space because yeah. I, I know you and I know that you're not somebody that really like slows down. You've got a lot of things going on. You have six grandchildren, you're, you know, yeah. working on 30, 30 stuff. So I feel like COVID gave you like a really good break to do that. But I also just, yes, thinking back to the early days of COVID, like you were saying, Julie, like, I think that I'm right there with you that you didn't know, like if you were to get COVID with your compromised immune system, like what would that do? Like, would, yeah. So I, I think it was really interesting and kind of, I saw it, Julie kind of put you back into the mindset that I think you were probably in, in those early Mm, days of being diagnosed with HIV. I was just thinking that too. Did you feel that Julie? Oh, I definitely felt that. Um, yeah, but, but I didn't have, like I said, the fear, I just felt urgent. I like, Mm, I really want this story down. And because, you know, it was a long time ago, but I do want, uh, I did want for no other reason. I, when my grandkids grow up, I want them to know this story. So, um, yeah, so I, and I've always thought about, um, what's a tool I could use, um, to continue raising money for, especially these smaller nonprofits doing great work in healthcare. So a book is always handy for that. So, yeah, um, a funny story is at Jenny's baby shower in LA, her husband, Jason was introducing me as Jenny's, uh, Jenny's mentor. And I was like, Jason, I am not Jenny's mentor. <laughs> Jenny's my mentor. <laughs> oh, I, I mean, I was so frustrated with this book when I sent it to her. Um, I was about ready to just, you know, quit. And really when Jenny came on board, the book project kind of went from super frustrating to a fun collaboration and adventure. And we have learned a lot about books and who knew that, you know, publishing the book is as hard, if not harder than writing. Writing So we've learned a ton about the book industry and we have great publisher and um, every day we learn new things. (laughs) (laughs) I bet. I bet. Oh my goodness. So I want you to tell folks, where can they get the book? If you want to point people to the 3030 project, what resources would you like to share with people as we start wrapping up here? How about we start with this? The book is called Still Positive. Oh, thank you, Jenny. Um, <laughs> That's a good place out. to start. Yes, the book is called Still Positive. It'll be out May 23rd. And our website is stillpositive.com. You can find links there to the 3030 project, some great pictures of Julie from the nineties. If you want to see what <laughs> style looks like back then. Love it. Um, and yeah, just some, some additional material to go along with the book. Also information on the 3030 project. Um, and on Instagram, we're at still positive book. Um, one thing I just want to add is that we're donating all the proceeds of this book through the 3030 legacy fund. Uh, to address equity in maternal health um, and to more generally just support 
women's and children's health care access and equity. Um, also focusing on um, reproductive rights in women. Um, but we have not actually built that out yet. We're still looking at organizations we want to partner with. So, I mean, if you're listening to this um, podcast and have suggestions of great orgs that you know of um, that are focusing on women's health, both in the U.S. and abroad, we would love suggestions and, and to learn more about other organizations that we could support. Nice. Can people connect with you through stillpositive.com if yes. they want to reach out? Okay. Yeah. They okay. Can. Awesome. So we will link everything up in the show notes. We'll send people the links to stillpositive.com to get the book to your Instagram. Oh my goodness. This has been a fabulous conversation. I'm so grateful to both of you. And it's always so fun to have two guests. So I so appreciate you both taking the time out of your day. I do have to ask before I let you go, if you have a minute, I know we're tight on time, but if you have a minute, I would love to know in one sentence each, how you're currently showing up as a shameless mom. Well, mine's bigger than a sentence. The one Okay, I go of. for it. <laughs> <laughs> so I was uh, taken out by hip injury during the holidays. And so I posted a picture of my Christmas tree on Instagram that just had lights on it. And I posted a picture next to it of my Christmas tree from last year that was all decorated. And I did a poll and I said, is this good enough or do I have to decorate the whole tree? And the funniest thing was that I had a lot of responses and almost all the good enoughs were women and almost oh. all the unit to decorate the whole tree were men, including my own husband. Oh, no. and, <laughs> and I guess my takeaway is sometimes good enough is the healthiest thing that you can do as a mom when you need yes. to take care of yourself. <laughs> Oh my gosh. 100%. 100%. I, that's a great story. And now I'm mad at those people that said, you, well, my, you know, I ended up decorating the whole tree oh my because gosh. my husband wasn't one of those people. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. <laughs> what about you, Jenny? Uh, so I have a six month old um, and I feel like I'm just still kind of, yeah, learning how to be out in the world with a baby. And um, this is maybe TMI, but like, I, yeah, I don't know. Like when she's not pooped in a few days, what's, what's the etiquette? There's no the... greater stress than a baby <laughs> right? that has not pooped. Like I'll be out somewhere and somebody be like, oh, can I hold your baby? Like, what is the etiquette? Am I supposed to say to them? Like, yes, you can. But like no. you say no, something might come out. Like, I, I don't know. like these are the things, but it's like, yes, I just, I feel like I'm oh now my spending my days just like waiting for the next poopocalypse as I, as oh I my gosh. Amazing. <laughs> All of our moms who have older kids are like, oh, I remember. And then our moms with younger kids are like, thank God it's not just me. So, oh my goodness. Thank you both so much for being here. I'm so excited about still positive being birthed out into the world. So grateful for all the work that you two have done. I mean, just incredible, incredible, deeply impactful work across so many countries and organizations and supporting so many fantastic causes that really impact so many human lives. So thank you. Thank you for everything that you're doing. And when you write the next book, you have to come back again. Yes. <laughs> we will for sure. Thanks for having us, Sarah. Thank, thank you, you, Julie. So thank you, Jenny.
Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be shameless mom of the week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play, and we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.